Well, this morning, we are going to wrap up our series called His Church. It is about having a biblical perspective of the church, to see the church the way that Jesus sees the church. You know, in our generation, Satan has tried to bring such shame and reproach on the church. He's tried to discredit the church. Many people, even believers, think that the church is a man-made organization. I can assure you that the church of the Lord Jesus Christ is not just some man-made organization. It is Jesus-made. It is His church, and He says that the gates of hell will not be able to stop it. Ephesians 1.23 tells us this about His church. It is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. And yet Satan has deceived many to think the church is irrelevant, that it's outdated, that it's weak and ineffective or hypocritical and phony. I want you to know the sad truth is is that because of the influence of culture, many Christians have adopted a negative mindset about the church. But Jesus doesn't have a negative mindset about His church. He loves the church. He is coming for a victorious church, a glorious church. We all know that there have been church organizations and there have been leaders and there have been many, many people who have uh, made mistakes, who have blown it. The church is not perfect because it's made up of people. But we still need to understand, though, that in spite of that, Jesus doesn't have a negative mindset about His church. He loves the church, and He gave Himself for it. Ephesians 5, 25-27, the Scripture says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave Himself for her, that He might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the Word, that He might present her to Himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. I believe the Word of God. I believe what the Scripture says about Jesus' church. I'm not listening to culture. I'm not taking my cues from the religious culture of the day. I believe what the Word says. And Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. Not a beat-up church barely hanging on till the end. Not a lukewarm church, a hypocritical church. Not a church that you can barely tell apart from the world. He's coming back for a glorious church. I believe that. Jesus loved the church. He gave himself for her. That's how much the church means to him. I'm going to read 26 and 27 again, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word, and that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. What kind of church? A glorious church. One that is holy, unblemished, 
See, he's not coming back for some man-made organization. He's not coming back for everybody that says, that claims that they know him. He's not coming back for everybody that prayed the prayer. He's not coming back for everybody that went to church. He's coming back for those who are his true church. He's not coming back for everybody that calls him Lord. As the Bible tells us, Jesus said it himself in Matthew 7, 21, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doers." See, the church is not those that have their names on the roll at church. The church is, or is those that, whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. See, it, it's not those who call themselves Christians. There's always going to be pretenders. No, the church are those who do the will of the Father. He's coming back for a true church. I want to clarify here. I just I know that I know that some of this is is hard to swallow. I know that some of this goes against the grain of the religious culture of the day and what we hear a lot and what we, you know, a lot of us have been taught. But I want you to know we need to hear the word of God as it is the truth. There's so many that are gonna say, Well, we did all these things in your name. And yet he'll say, Depart from me. I never knew you. So, I want to clarify, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, the Bible says very plainly, by grace you've been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. None of us is good enough on our own to go to heaven. We can't be good enough. We don't go because we've done good works. It is only by God's grace. It is only by the precious blood of Jesus that we are forgiven and born again and can go to heaven. But understand this, verse 10, the very next verse says, but we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You see, we aren't saved by doing good works. But when we're saved, we do good works. We don't live the same old way. We don't live and act like the world. We are God's holy people. We're supposed to be different. And those works should be seen in our life because Jesus is coming for His true church, people that truly live for Him and serve Him, that He might present to Himself this Glorious church. Verse 26, he said, that he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word. This is one of the reasons that the word of God is so important in our lives as believers. It is is through the word of God that he washes and cleanses us. Now listen, our sins are washed by the blood of Jesus. Our guilty conscience is washed by the blood of Jesus But our daily life, our conduct, you see, He sanctifies us. He shows us how to live. He shows us what's wrong in our life through the Word of God. He washes us with the washing of water by the Word. You know, I experienced this in my own life. When I was born again, it was very plain and obvious, well, even more obvious looking back now. But, you know, 
unlike some of you, I didn't really grow up in church. I always thought I was a Christian, but I didn't really grow up in church. As some of you, you see, you grew up in church. You knew what was right and wrong. You knew what the Bible says, and when you got born again, you knew how you were supposed to act. But I want to tell you that I didn't. And after I turned my life over to the Lord, there were many, many times that the Word of God was preached or somebody said something from the Scripture, or I read it myself, and all of a sudden I saw where I needed to change. It was washing me. It was changing my behavior. And in the world that we live in today, you need to know this. There's a whole lot of people that don't have a clue of what it means to live for God and how to please the Lord in their daily life. They need the Word of God to wash them, to cleanse them, to show them how they're supposed to live. Now, Jesus had these 12 disciples... And they weren't perfect. Amen? I mean, if, you, if you've read the book, you know these guys weren't perfect at all. They all had faults and flaws. But Jesus, for three years, He taught these guys. Three years, they were being washed with His Word. He was speaking to them truth. And it impacted them. It separated them from the world. They were different. And we need to understand that's supposed to happen in our own lives. Here's what he said to the disciples in John 15 and 3. He says, you're already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. He's talking about changing their lifestyle. He's talking about changing their attitudes and their conduct. Then in Ephesians 5, he tells us his word washes us. If we'll allow it, the word of God will show us where we need to change. It tells us what His will is, so we can do the Father's will, so we can truly live for God. And it keeps us walking in truth in an age that is so full of deception. You know, the time that we live in, truth is just whatever you want it to be. Everybody's got their own version. You know, what is your truth? Such a lie, such a deception. How can we know what truth is? Because the Word of God is truth. In part of Jesus' prayer in John 17, 17, He prays this for us. He says, sanctify them by your truth. Your Word is truth. See, Jesus prayed that we would be sanctified, cleaned up, Preacher, you're really talking about this stuff? I am. And I know that it, this is not what you hear preached a lot today. I know it's not popular. I also know it's the truth of God's Word, and we need it. Oh, how the church needs to hear this. Jesus says, sanctify them by truth. Your Word is truth. See, it's the Word of God that shows us how to live and who and what we're supposed to be. In 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. You know, doctrine's kind of a dirty word nowadays. I mean, nobody likes doctrine. Well, the doctrines, the teachings of men, no, we don't need that. But we need the doctrine of Scripture we need the, the truths of Scripture that show us how to live. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. You see, the Word of God is the source for all those things. All of us need reproof. All of us need correction. 
All of us need instruction how to live righteous. There's so many things here where people just take one verse to the exclusion of all others. Well, I'm righteous by faith. Yeah, but you're also supposed to live righteous. And the Word of God shows you, it instructs you on how to live a righteous life. Every area of our life, I'm telling you, the Word of God will show us what would please the Lord if we'll hear Him through His Word. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. It has power in it. It can get right to your heart. It can divide between soul and spirit. Soul and spirit, they're not the same. They're not the same at all. See, a lot of believers, listen, this is 101, but I'm I'm just putting this out here for 101, okay? Your soul and spirit are not the same. You see, your soul is your mind, your will, your emotions. It is that personality. It is that you. But your spirit is that part of you that is born of God. Jesus said you must be born again. And he talks about being born of the spirit. You see, your spirit is born of God. Those that are the sons of God are led by the Spirit of God. But a lot of Christians are living by their soul. They're trying to hear from God. They're trying to follow the Lord. But their their emotions are leading and guiding and directing their life instead of really listening to the Spirit. How can you know which is which? The Word of God divides between soul and spirit. It's right there. It divides. How can you know? The Word of God will show you which is just your soul and which is the Spirit. That's the power of the Word of God. And it discerns the thoughts and the intents of the heart. We need the Word of God to show us, to instruct us. I'll tell you, He's coming for a glorious church without spot or wrinkle that we should be holy and without blemish. He wants us to be holy. Now, I have to preface. You see, I'm I'm trying to help you. This is not a trick question. Pastor is not out to get you, contrary to what it might be sometimes or seem like sometimes. But how many of you are holy? Come on now. Some of you, don't give me this. Get in or get out. Are you holy? I see some of you really struggling this. I get it. I get it. We were singing a song today about lifting up holy hands, and I'm like, I feel weird saying my hands are holy. Anybody else? Why? Because in this world, in the religious culture of our day, holy is a dirty word. It's a four-letter word, Pastor. We can't call ourselves holy. No, any time we want to talk about being holy, it brings ridicule and scorn. Oh, holier than thou. You think you're better than us. We are God's holy people. Now, we may not be acting like it sometimes, but that's who we are supposed to be. God's holy people. It's so clear in Scripture and... 
I want you to understand, you see, you, you just can't go by the attitude of culture and, and what you hear, even in religious culture, you know, where somehow all of this negative stuff about holy and holy is not preached and holiness is not preached, but it's all through the Scripture. I'm going to jump out here and double tell you the truth, especially the New Testament. See, people portray that, oh, that's all old. That's old religion. We don't need... No, it's all through the New Testament. I'm not going to give you a few of them today, but I'm just telling you, you see it all through the New Testament. And we need to go by what the Scripture says. And the Scripture talks about holy and holiness over and over again. But I want to tell you this, we can live a holy life because He has given us the Holy Spirit. What's his first name? Holy. That is the one that lives inside of the believer. In John 16, 7 and 8, Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. Most of us, just like the disciples, I mean, they got to experience but most of, experience it, but most of us, we would think, oh, it would be much better to have Jesus in a human body. Oh, no. He says it's much better that he goes away so that we can have the Holy Spirit. The Helper will not come to you, but if I depart, I will send Him to you. And when He has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I want to tell you, you don't hear that preached. What's the Holy Spirit? What does the Helper do when He comes? He convicts of sin and righteousness and judgment. Oh, now let's just talk about the, the good stuff, the fun stuff, the easy stuff. No, He came to help us, to help us live a holy life. He's our helper. Yeah. Some people get the attitude like the Holy Spirit. He's kind of like Daddy's little helper, like I'm doing this, you, you can help me. No, He comes to help us to live the way God wants us to, to be who God wants us to be. That's how He helps us. Holy. Holy means sanctified. It means set apart. You know, in the Old Testament, the temple was a holy place. It, it belonged to God, and His presence showed up there, and that's where people went to worship. It was a holy thing. And if, if somebody went into the temple and did something else in there, it would defile the temple. It would no longer be holy if they took out some of the articles of the temple and took them home and used them for their personal use. They would no longer be holy because to be holy meant that it was set apart, that it belonged to God. This is why Jesus had such passion about driving out the money changers and the merchandisers from the temple. It was to be a holy place, a house of prayer. But they made it a den of thieves and robbers, he said. You need to understand this, that the New Testament says that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We're not supposed to be used by this old world. We belong to God. We are His holy people, and the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of us. In 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, it says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. 
See, we're not just washed in the blood. We're bought with the blood. He owns us. We belong to Him. We are to be His holy people. You see, the fact that He bought us and we belong to Him and the Holy Spirit lives in us, that's what makes us holy. We're set apart for Him. To be holy is to be completely His. 2 Corinthians 6.17, I'm just going to read from there. We're going to go right on into chapter 7, verse 1. And, you know, in the original text, there's no chapters and verses. That's just put in there, added for our convenience. But you'll notice here that there's a connection between the two because he says, therefore. But here at the beginning, he says, therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. He's talking about being separate, being different from the world. He's not talking about living in a monastery. Or living, you know, we're going to have some you know, compound or something. All the people get all these weird ideas. He's not talking about us you know, separating ourselves and never having anything to do with the world. No, we're supposed to go into all the world. But he's talking about in our lifestyle, in our conduct, that we have to separate ourselves from the things of this world. We can't live and think and act and talk like the world. He says, do not touch what is unclean. Wow. Don't touch it. We're living in a time in the church culture where it's just kind of like, oh, we're saved by grace, so it don't matter, whatever. But the Scripture tells us, I'm telling you, there's some washing going on this morning. Washing of the water of the Word. The Scripture says, don't touch it. Don't touch what is unclean. I want you to know He died on the cross so we could be forgiven, but also so we could be free. He wants His people to be free. And then it says this, And I will receive you. Don't touch what is unclean. And I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore... Having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. You see, we have a part in this. Because of these great promises we have, he says, therefore, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. This is not preached. Why? It might make somebody uncomfortable. I want to tell you, you don't hear this preached by the world's most popular preachers. But I'm going to tell you the truth. I just see in the Word of God that these principles, these truths, they're for us. We can't even begin to be the church that He wants us to be when we only read a, a few passages of the Scripture, and especially the New Testament. Here it is again where he tells us, cleanse ourselves with, from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Are you trying your best to live a holy life? You say, oh, we're not perfect. No, we're not. None of us is. But are you living for God to the best of your ability? Are you perfecting holiness in your life? That's what the Scripture says. And it's so opposite of the attitude of the day that says it doesn't matter 
how you live. And we want to be as much like our Savior as we can. You know, we make a commitment to obey the Lord Jesus, to live out our life the way He would, in a way that pleases the Lord. Hebrews 12, 14 says this, Pursue peace with all people. Now, I like that. I've preached that. I hear that part preached. Pursue peace with all men. We should always try to get along. We should always try to have peace as much as possible with all men. But that's not all of the verse. Pursue peace with all people and holiness. Are you pursuing holiness in your life? Some of you thinking, I'm at the wrong church. No, you're at the right church. It's the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are all supposed to be pursuing holiness. I don't know how holy and holiness became a dirty word. Dirty concept in the body of Christ. We are God's holy people. Pursue holiness without which no one will see the Lord. Oh, now wait a minute. That's not what I believe. I believe the Bible without which no one will see the Lord. Well, I don't know if that fits in with what I've been taught. It's the Bible. If you've been taught something different, you were taught wrong. Pursue holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Who wrote it? Holy Spirit. In the book of Ephesians, I read to you from Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, by grace we're saved through faith, not of ourselves, not of works, lest anybody should boast. It's by grace. That's how we're saved. We read in Ephesians 5 talking about the church and how that he's coming back for this glorious church that's holy and unblemished. I want you to understand, this is the same book even. It all works together. It all fits together. But some people, you know, they just want to go with this passage or just this passage. No, we need it all. But here in Ephesians, we're going to go to the beginning of chapter 5, beginning from verse 1, and it tells us, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children. See, that just means that we should try to be like Him. As much as we can, as His children, we want to be like Him and live a life of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. See, so many Christians, it seems like they think the way to reach the world is to be as much like the world as we can and still be a Christian. You know, like we got to relate. I want to tell you how to reach the world. We just need to be as much like Jesus as we can. That's what will reach the world. We don't have to be cool and trendy. We just need to be like Jesus. And that's what this tells us to do. To live a life, to live a life of love like Jesus. And that is always the most important thing. That's always first. See, no matter what else we do, this is first that we live a life of love, that we love other people. If we're not loving other people, we're not holy. And we got to get that. But, verse 3, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. How is it we're living in such a time when sexual immorality is so accepted? I know what the world thinks about it. 
I understand that the world doesn't get it. But why in the church does it just kind of slide? What is sexual immorality? It is any sex outside of marriage. And the scripture says among you, there shouldn't even be a hint of sexual immorality or any kind of impurity. Any kind of impurity? I think that covers pornography and a whole lot of other things. Any kind of impurity or of greed. Greed is idolatry. Another verse says, the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And yet in our, in our country, this greed, this continual lust for more, for more, for more, is so accepted that even many Christians have that mindset and attitude. They don't realize that they've made a God out of money and things and put it before the Lord. It says, because these are improper for God's holy people. That's you and me. God's holy people. Wow. Now, if you read it in the New King James or the King James, it says saints. And I guess 400 and something or 500 years ago, saints just meant holy people. Now, you know, in the culture time we live in, we only use saints when you're talking about dead people from a long, long time ago that were pretty good. Those were the saints. That's not who he's talking about here. He's talking about God's holy people. And that is his church. That's his people. That's you and me. And then he goes on, he said, nor should there be obscenity, Convict us. Show us, Lord. When I turned my life over to the Lord, I told you how dumb I was. I had some friends. We all were supposed to go to A&M together. And so we got some shirts and on the back, some A&M shirts, and on the back of them we put these Letters, we added three letters each week. And so people looked at it this way, but if you read it up and down, it said something very vulgar. And I wore that shirt, and a young Christian said to me, he said, Mark, I wish you wouldn't wear that shirt. And a conviction just came over me. I took it off, put it on wrong side out, and wore it that way the rest of the day. I'm just telling you, when the Holy Spirit convicts you, you need to change. Don't brush it off. Don't say, oh, that's not for me. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit will convict you and show what's right. There are a lot of Christians posting things, profanity, on Facebook. Bringing reproach and shame on the cause of Christ. Acting like the world. We are God's holy people. Then he says this, Foolish talk or coarse joking, which are out of place. This is one of the things that just has grieved my heart in the last few years as I hear preachers using coarse language from the pulpit, saying things they shouldn't even say in private, much less from the pulpit. The pulpit is a holy place where God speaks to people. And preachers are using 
language they shouldn't be using. No wonder so much of the body of Christ has been deceived about this. Thank you, brother. I want you to know, this is not the easiest message I ever preached because I know I'm tearing down strongholds in the name of Jesus, coming against strongholds of religious culture that have been built where it's okay that all this whatever goes. Oh, we need the truth. Thank you, brother. I really appreciate you. He says those things are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure. What can you be sure of? A lot of things... What can you be sure of in this world? (laughs) A lot of things you can't be sure of. Here's what you can be sure of. No immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man as an idolater, has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. No immoral, impure, or greedy person has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And here's what's happened. So many have been deceived. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of such things, God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient. Don't raise your hand. I'm asking a rhetorical question. Do you believe that? Do you believe that An immoral, impure, greedy person has no inheritance in the kingdom of God? Do you believe that God's wrath comes on those who are disobedient? Or are you deceived? Therefore, do not be partners with them. I know it's strong, but we need to hear it today. We are His glorious church His holy people, we are that church that He is coming back for. 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, it says, As obedient children, we just read about the disobedient children, but as obedient children, not conforming yourselves to the former lust as in your ignorance, but as He who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, because it is written, be holy for I am holy. Some people want to say that holiness is just a positional thing, that we are holy because of the blood of Jesus. I want you to see in this verse, these two verses, it's very clear. It's not just a positional thing. It's a conduct thing. It's the way you live your life. It's the, what, the things that you do. He says, in all your conduct, be holy. The way you live, be holy. Be holy, for I am holy. And here we are, flawed, human, imperfect, struggling, but we have the Holy Spirit. We have His Word to show us what's right. And we make commitments. We make decisions to serve God to do what's pleasing to the Lord. And a lot of the time we get convicted and we make a commitment and we go a week or a few months and then somehow or another we just let go of that commitment. 
A lot of the time, what eventually happens is after we've broken enough commitments, or again and again, maybe we break the same commitment, we just get to the place where we say, I, I can't do it, it doesn't matter, I, you know, I'm not going to do that. We change what we believe to fit what we're living. But you see, sometimes being convicted and making a commitment is not enough. Sometimes there's a third com component that we need. It's that, yes, we get convicted and we make a commitment, but we also need connections. We need the rest of the body of Christ. That's what His church is, the church which is His body. And we need our brothers and sisters. Have you noticed in the New Testament, that's what it calls one another, brothers and sisters. We're family, and we need each other. This attitude of the world that's crept into the church, oh, it's just me and Jesus, I don't need anybody. That is a lie from the pit of hell. You see, in this world, there's all kinds of negative influences, people dragging you down, impacting your thoughts and your attitude about things. You need to be around brothers and sisters with like faith that want to live for God with all their heart. You need to be around people that encourage your commitments, not, not try to get you to go back on it. We need one another. We're God's holy people. And that's not something we try to do all by ourselves. We do that with community. The church. We're doing it together. Hebrews 12, or excuse me, 3, 12 and 13. It says, see to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God but encourage one another, one another daily as long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. All of us have known people that have backslidden, that drifted away. They got out of church. They got away from God. Some have gone back to their old ways. Maybe some of you have experienced that in your own life. You see, it's wonderful when the Holy Spirit convicts us and we turn to God and we make a commitment. But we need those relationships with other believers to help us. That's why in verse 12 he says, See to it, brothers. See to it, brothers. See to it, brothers. Here's a word from the Lord. See to it, brothers. You see, we got to take care of each other. It's not just about you. I mean, if you say you can make it all on your own, so what? See to it, brothers. you got to take care of your brother. It's not just about you. We are all in this together. We need those friendships, those connections, and to feel like we're family. We need that closeness. That's one of the reasons that we do growth groups. You don't have to be in a growth group, but it is a great vehicle to help you develop those kinds of relationships. But it ought to be something that's a daily thing in our life, that we have to, we're spending time with brothers and sisters that encourage us, and we encourage them. You see to it, brothers. Amen. Take care of each other. You know, everybody struggles at times. And the truth is, is that sometimes people don't make it. 
but we all need each other. That's what the Bible says. Verse 13, he says, but encourage one another daily. See, if you see somebody that's struggling or not making it, it is your job to encourage one another. Now, a lot of the time, people struggle and even get out of church, and sometimes they get offended and they say, well, nobody helped me. But a lot of the time, the problem is is that nobody even knew because the relationships weren't there. We're the church, the body of Christ. We're supposed to have those relationships where we call each other brother and sister. You say, oh, that's old school. Well, I'm bringing it back because that's the way the Scripture talks. That's the right attitude to have. And when you take that away, you're taking away the attitude of family. Brother, sister. Here's why. As long as it is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Sin is so deceitful. It promises life, but it just brings death. It looks good, but it never turns out the way that you think it's going to. It's deceitful. The deceitfulness of sin. So we have to encourage one another. We have to help one another. Because sin will harden the heart. You see, those things where you've been convicted and maybe even made a commitment, but you continue to allow in your life, it will harden your heart. And he says, it can even turn them away from the living God. Oh, how we need one another to encourage one another daily. That's what he says. How often should we do it? Daily. That we're daily encouraging one another, helping each other. Sin is deadly. But we can overcome it. We're the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nothing can stop us. Far too much of the time, I think the church has been somewhat of a reflection of the world. Instead, we ought to be a reflection of our Savior and who He is and what He wants. And when He comes, He's coming for one thing. His church. That's it. You. You. That's all He's coming for. The church. His glorious church. His holy people. That's who He's coming for. And you hear these negative attitudes about the church all around? Don't ever let that even begin to get into your mind or into your heart. You just remember this, that nothing can stop His church. It is a victorious church. It is a glorious church He's coming for. And it's the only thing from this world that's going to be with Him in the new heaven and the new earth. That's it. Nothing else. Just His church. I love His church. I'm in good company because He loves His church. Yes, He does. I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. I'd like prayer partners to come.